Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 284, 284 I believe, of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's Friday, maybe, when you're listening to this. It's Thursday when we're recording it. It's very, very warm. Man, it's a hot one. I've closed the windows for better audio. I think I'm going to melt. Come see the incredible melting man. Craig Fitzpatrick down in Leakslip Way. Hey. Any better over there? Uh, I'm kind of melting emotionally. It's been one of those weeks. <laughs> Just being like very busy. Like it's it's heavy here in Leaks Up as well, though. It's uh, an oppressive summer we're getting over the last day or so. But is it is it a meaningful summer, Craig? That's the question. Are you having a meaningful um, time of it? I mean, you can find meaning in anything, really, can't you, Dave? All right. It's <laughs> very philosophical. I'm still trying to drain like the end of the Euros buzz out of it, but uh, it's fading yeah. fast. I think Craig uh, Di Patrizio was a happier man last weekend than Craig Fitzpatrick currently. <laughs> And we'll get to the Euros briefly because we will, there is some music related tie-ins that yeah. we can get to. Uh, I will say I was down in the kitchen earlier on and I, I had a moment of like, I was like, oh, I miss the football. I miss the Euros. I know. I miss it. Yeah, so it was, like, it was, it was like, one of my favourite like tournaments of all time, I'd have to yeah. say. I mean, that like, a lot of people are saying that, you know, maybe there's some recency bias, but it was very good. Yeah. That in 2014, I think, was pretty good. Okay, yeah. well look, this is not a sports podcast. There will be some mention of the Euros in the news section, but it's a music podcast and it's a it's a fun time to be a music podcast. There's all sorts of things happening. And on this episode, we'll be reviewing a brand new album, a short album by Vince Staples. Yeah. Rapper from Long Beach, California is back with his fourth record. It clocks in at 22 minutes. Is that a short-changing situation? We're going to discuss it. And then our top five, Craig, 
Uh, top five albums under 30 minutes. This was your oh, suggestion, man. I believe. It's one of the most no encore in uh, top fives. We constantly go on about album brevity. So, yeah, it seemed like a no brainer. And I was initially thinking, like, a lot of people say, like, sub 40, sub 35 is a short album. I think feck it. Like, below half an hour. Um, uh, how as how in, did like, you find that? <laughs> As in, like, that's the standard. Um, I mean, well, yeah, you're right in saying that, like, it is... I feel like we're very late getting to this somehow. This probably should have been, like, the very first top five. Um, I had a different relationship with the idea of a short album when I was younger. I think that there was this kind of, like, you know, oh, this is 20 quid. Surely it must last this long. And some people, I think, take that approach. Some people, like, see a short album length and are like, well, that's just ridiculous. They're even hearing a single note yeah, yeah. of the music. Yeah, uh, I'm all for it, if it's good. And you know me, I'm blue in the face talking about 10 track records and keeping it keeping it succinct. Doesn't necessarily always work, but on this one, our top five, we're both going to be coming at it from the best. There's no negatives here. It's yeah. all and good. And we're also, we're also going to keep this episode to 22 minutes in length, aren't we? So we should probably... Yeah, <laughs> so let's jump into my number one. As always. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, if you want more No Encore, though, you can, of course, always, if you'd like to support the show, you can sign up to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash noencore. Bunch of new patrons there in the last week or two since we announced that we're now fully independent. Some people were like, what does fully independent mean? What it means is we're no longer on the Heads of Podcast Network. We've uh, we've hit the road and we are recording, you know, amongst ourselves, myself, Craig and Adam, three boys. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know. a meaningful summer together. <laughs> meaningful summer. Yeah, no sponsor. You know, Adam's studio is available, but, you know, we're still holding it down in our respective Castle Knock and Leak Slip caves. Makes us sound like millionaires, but we're not. So, yeah, if you want to help support the show, it's patreon.com slash noencore. The price of a pint will get you bonus content, including the latest episode of No Oxcord. It's our monthly recommends corner in which we discuss albums, songs, other media that we've enjoyed over the previous few weeks. And that episode is out right now. But that's all the plugs taken care of. The plugs for this episode, the plugs for other episodes. Help us out if you want to. But for now, we're going to help ourselves out by reading the news. Hit the music, Adam. Hey, you heard about the good news? And it's time for some bad news if you're Julian Casablancas of The Strokes. Now, we are admittedly a little bit late to this. We could have discussed it last week. We just missed it in the news cycle. But maybe it was better to wait for Euro 2020 to conclude because big Julian Casablancas of The Strokes, while viewing the dramatic semi-final between Denmark and England, in which there was a controversial penalty decision that swung the game for the three lines, Julian Casablancas took to his Instagram and gave out about it. So this is essentially us getting to what is, again, this is just the apex of no encore content, right? It's football meeting with Julian Casablanca is being mad about something. Center so of the it's, Venn diagram, yeah. yeah. So Craig, it's time for no encore's week late Euros. <laughs> and Cheers, let's, Crouchy. <laughs> <laughs> let's get to it. So um, did you see this at the time? Because I missed it completely. Yes, I did. Um, it was also pointed in my direction by um, my cousin Caleb, who's an avid listener to the show. And um, his big takeaway was Big Jules essentially going, soccer is such bullshit, lol. <laughs> Even though he seems to be a massive fan. Um, there's also that thing of like him being clearly very into football, but like using the parlance of um, New York and America and it's, it always strikes me as quite strange, even when you have like ex-pros or like people that are really invested journalists in the US talking about football and totally into it and know everything about it, but they've got like the terms slightly different. So there's a lot of that going on. So I'm going to read his post verbatim now. Um, 
on his Instagram about the reaction to the game uh, last week. He said, um, you know, so, yeah, he does say, he says, wow, soccer is such bullshit, lol. I don't even care about outcome. Best team win. I'm an Argentina slash USA fan, but soccer is a disgrace. <laughs> it's an acting contest. Whoever dives in the box best the wins box. close games. Lol. Total horseshit. And what's the point of review if they spend seven seconds? It's great. What? And then he goes, why is every fucking person giving their opinion British? Ha, the worst. I was rooting for France in the World Cup and Griezmann was fave player until he dove Uh in the final to give them go-ahead goal or Italy's World Cup against Australia. All of them, including this, tainted, sorry, just is. Just like Sterling was my favourite player in this game, but man, (laughs) then he opens up some brackets here and he goes, his left foot is the interesting part of the acting job fall. Left leg stops to make body fall believably. Then he goes, soccer needs repair the end it reads like a bad google translate of an interview that he did or like he's sending a telegram (laughs) left leg (laughs) stops to make body fall unbelievable like (laughs) um yeah and he's having his heart broken by his favorite players including griezmann who i don't think that's the worst thing griezmann's done but anyway um it's quite cute isn't it i i agree with some parts of that i I know there's a lot of controversy around Sterling. My whole thing is just like he's doing what every other footballer on the planet does at this point. And I'm, maybe I'm being a bit more jaded than Big Jules, but um, I'm glad he's into it. Well, the best part is, I, cause I, I kept an eye on this. So he went off about the Copa America, which is played at the weekend as well. As noted, he's an Argentina fan. So he put up a photograph of Sergio Aguero. And he's like, while I'm on my soccer round, can someone please friggin' start this man? Adding in uh, Sergio Cunaguero with hashtag dynamic duo. And then Argentina went on to win that game. They beat Brazil yeah. 1-0. And then I looked to see, because I wanted to see if Jules had posted about the Euros again. But he put up a photograph of, I think it's Messi, hugging uh, Martinez, the goalkeeper for Argentina. And one word by Julian, respect. <laughs> and then he's posted, <laughs> he's posted nothing about the Euros. So again, listen, this is not a football podcast, but I think it was a cultural moment. So I, like I want to ask. Argentina. I think his mother was a Miss Argentina back in the day, right? All right. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So that's the connection there, which makes sense. You want um, to ask, Dave? Yeah. I wanted to ask about your reaction to the Euros, uh, the final of the Euros. Uh, we're not going to spend ten minutes on this or anything because it's not about music, but it was a big moment, and it was a, it was, it was a, it was a hell of a game. It was a dramatic thing. I couldn't feel my legs during the penalty shootout. Spoilers: England so lost Italy. Intense. Very intense. Yeah. Kind of a horrible way to win, terrible way to lose. And obviously there's been some absolutely horrific fallout, especially aimed at Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho and Bakayo Saka, which is disgusting and horrible yeah. and should be condemned in all its forms. Although I will say that the Rashford thing, like his mural was defaced, but then hundreds of people kind of came out in support and they like posted letters and stuff, which was very beautiful, brought a tear to the eye. Did notice as well, though, that um, Gav Riley of Virgin Media News put up a tweet uh, and said, let Marcus Rashford be remembered as a man who blah, blah, blah. And I was like, he's not dead. <laughs> He's still with us, thankfully. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully, and with United. Um, yeah, I think it was very tense. It felt like I was watching Ireland if Ireland were really, really good. I, I, I was taking glee in how great Italy were throughout the competition. I had them in the sweepstake, as did you. But also, you know, um, our friend Carlo was supporting them. There was just there's lots of kind of Italian connections there, and. To be honest, I did, it did hit me. I quite, I find the English team very likable, except for maybe Pickford. Um, <laughs> and it didn't quite hit me until the day of the final that I really didn't want them to win. Like, I wish the best for all English people, our English listeners I adore, the English players I adore. I just didn't want that win for the English national team and all the attendant media stuff. But then in the event of the game, 
as you say, if it had been like 3 nil to Italy, I might have taken some glee in it. But when you get to penalties and you see the players stepping up for said penalties, including like a 19-year-old, it's just kind of heartbreaking. There was no, there was a relieved celebration when Italy did it, but it wasn't like, haha, England have gone crashing out in the final. It was just like... I was spent. I was emotionally spent. How about you? <laughs> I was too. I mean, you, yeah, you, and a, a very likable 19-year-old as well in the form of Bukayo yeah. Saka, who kind of became a bit of a character in the course of this tournament. Yeah, I share all of your sentiments, you know. We have English listeners. We don't mean to crash down too hard on them. But on the day itself, and as the, game, as the game began, my, my stomach was kind of... And of course, Luke Shaw scoring immediately. I was delighted for him, but yeah, also like, no. oh no. I was like, it is coming home. And then, uh, again, I love this Italy team, so I really wanted them to win. Uh, yeah, a pretty horrible way to do it, but what are you going to do? It's football. Um, I was, like I say, I watched that penalty shootout. It did feel like Ireland were in it somehow, like a reverse Ireland or something. And then it was like, I couldn't feel my legs. Italy won and I fucking went mental. And then, yeah, I was kind of like, well, this is also very sad. But yeah, what are you going to do? It's life. It's football. And lastly, you know, you're like, you, you were listening to some English things that you enjoy. You, you love Britpop, you know? Britpop I is do, a big thing. Yeah. So there you go. But cool one thing you don't Britain, love, yeah. <laughs> one thing you don't love, Craig, uh, I, I noticed you, you, you popped off on Twitter this week. You're not happy with, uh, with Barack Obama, <laughs> of all people, <laughs> and his infamous summer playlist, which was released, I guess, in the last week or so. Uh, you had some words about it this week on Twitter. I am bringing this back to music now. Craig, why don't you tell us what upset you so? I needed to like vent for various reasons. And I saw this playlist on my scroll and um, Obama's playlists are usually very good a little too good they're eclectic he never puts a foot wrong do you know what I mean it's just it's not quite quite by committee I think he just is probably that eclectic in his picks and it's kind of it always infuriates me because the man is just so cool and together I looked at this one and I was like yeah there's some great stuff um Jasmine Sullivan up first fantastic she gets a shout out um even deep cuts like um Coyote Joni Mitchell I'm like yeah this guy knows his stuff Mandatory inclusion of Jay-Z and oh, holding back the years, simply read the hook null. So, no place. This kind of... Okay, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, no, no, I, I don't want to derail you. I'm, I'm giving you a moment to gather your thoughts because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, Craig, but it, feel, it felt like this inclusion made you see Simply Red. You got very upset. You said, and I quote, raise that fucking plaza to the ground. <laughs> That's a bit much. After all, he's done for money goal. Is that where it is? I mean, the plaza should never have, you know... Yeah, it's money gall, isn't it? Um, I think so, That yeah. always struck me as marketing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because of all my expertise in that area. Other people might have picked up on that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've um, I've no love for Simply Red. On this show before, I think I nearly ventured that I had something of a kind of nostalgia soft spot for um, stars, which I think I immediately retracted. And you condemned at the time. I condemned... You liking stars or the retraction? I'm confused. Sorry. Stars. I think any kind of positivity um, for Simply Red. Meanwhile, yeah. in my comments. <laughs> yes, I did show up. What did I say? It's no fairground. I think we can all agree. I think we can all agree that Fairground is probably the best Simply Red song. Um, can't imagine I'm a huge fan of theirs. And I do find Simply Red quite triggering. Even a song like Fairground springs back to like listening to late night British radio when I was, when I was, when I was a youngster. Uh, and I find the coconut to be kind of gross. But, uh, I will say, but there's been, there's been other support for Simply Red in these comments. Um, David Tapley of Town yeah. Fields fame described uh, holding back the ears as quote an unbridled banger <laughs> which didn't seem to sit well with you it is many things but a banger does not unbridled <laughs> unbridled banger holding back the ears <laughs> you, you may be hearing listener you may be hearing sonic architect adam in my earphones there uh, cavorting Cackling. with laughter <laughs> yeah. 
as he oversees this interrogation. And while I'm at it, Craig, Mango, of Mango and Mathman fame, Pat Kenny's favourite musical duo, yeah. uh, he also stepped in on behalf of Mick Hucknall. So it seems like you're in the minority here, man. Yeah, me versus two people, and possibly you. <laughs> Absolute belter of a tune, Herman Mango said. Ready to perish on this hill. And what a way to go that would be. Um, yeah, listen, it's kind of everything Simply Red stands for that I, I have, I take umbrage with. It's just like plastic soul, Mick Hucknell, disgrace of a human being. Big United fan though, so we've got that in common. <laughs> Let me ask you this. If you were stuck in a lift uh, for 48 hours, let's say 48 hours, <laughs> and you had to listen to the greatest hits over and over and over again of either Simply Red or the Lighthouse family... Who would you choose? Lighthouse Family all the way. Really? All the way. Yeah, because I, I know very little about the Lighthouse Family personally. The voice is fine to me. And I think it's... Although, hold on. Now you mention it. What <sighs> if I throw a triple threat into this? What if I throw the Beautiful South into this mix? Oh, See, I prefer the Beautiful South, but I think the Beautiful South would become more grating because there's more personality and like quirky lyrics to it. Do you know what I mean? I'm gonna mm-hmm. have to. Yeah. I'm gonna stick Lighthouse Family. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, I agree with you in one sense. Obama's playlists year on year do strike me as slightly performative, stri- slightly trendy, slightly like I'm cool. He is cool though, and like, he he, I mean, in fairness cool. to him as well, like, he's he's enjoying his his kind of chill out years now, following a long time spent uh, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, also known as the White House. So, but if he was still in power at the White House, he would have had a very special guest this week, because it turns out, Craig. That is a link. That Joe is a link, Biden, my friend. <laughs> president, US President Joe Biden has turned to, uh, he's looking for the youth vote. Uh, and uh, by vote, I mean vaccination vote. He wants young people to get jabbed. And who better than this person to do it? This is some footage of a famous pop star in the White House addressing the press corps in surreal scenes on Wednesday. All right. So I have a special guest with me today. Uh, joining us in the briefing room is actress and multi-platinum recording singer-songwriter Olivia Rodrigo, who traversed red lights and stop times to see us. If you know her music, you'll get that dad jokes there. Um, thing, and we just want to thank you for using your platform and your voice for elevating the important issue of young people getting vaccinated. She's here today to meet with the president and Dr. Fauci later this afternoon, but she agreed to come say a quick hello to all of you first. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Olivia. Hi. Um, First, I want to say I am beyond honored and humbled to be here today to help spread the message about the importance of youth vaccination. Uh, I'm in awe of the work President Biden and Dr. Fauci have done and was happy to help lend my support to this important initiative. It's important to have conversations with friends and family members, encouraging all communities to get vaccinated and actually get to a vaccination site, which you can do more easily than ever before, given how many sites we have and how easy it is to find them at vaccines.gov. Thank you, Jen, for having me today. Uh, and thank you all for helping share this important message. It's so appreciated. Thank you. So a uh, very nice, cute sign off there from Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, she, did, like, she did a double hand wave, which yeah. I thought was very cute. Um, she's probably she's also used to that kind of thing like as current former and current Disney star right there's probably a lot of PSA duties and that kind of stuff probably yeah no she handled herself very well uh, yeah. she was dressed almost like Marge Simpson in that episode where she has the Chanel dress she looked very very cool um, did you enjoy the intro from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki who uh, oh, seems to have jokes. you know she's kind of like the cool press secretary yeah I mean she she made it I think just ironic enough and detached enough that she got away with a kind of um 
Yeah. I must say, every time I hear Dr. Fauci as a name, I'm just like, that totally still sounds like someone that, like, Bane would casually execute in front of a crowd. (laughs) (laughs) As much as all he's doing good work, I'm like, I can't. (laughs) Dr. Um, Fauci, game over. Um, Hang on, I'm looking this up because I was shocked by this before. Uh, The referenced man there, uh, Anthony Fauci. Do you know how old Anthony Fauci is? Do you know what his age is? Do you know? Um, He is... um, your classic New Yorker, I'd say he could be upwards of a hundred. Do you know what I mean? He's just holding it together well. He might be, Adam's guessing in his 80s. I would have said, to be honest, early 70s, but he's probably far beyond that if you're bringing it up. He's 80 years of okay. age. Good 80 and a half, as it stands. Um, yeah, so this is the latest in the campaign. Probably a cool move, smart move. And interestingly enough, it, it mirrored something that happened on these shores this week, Craig. I woke up today, some news headlines that uh, the HSE in Ireland have teamed up with like Tinder and dating sites to offer incentives for young people on there to get vaccinated and get like a super like, an extra super like or something in return. An extra I mean, super like. <laughs> I didn't really, I thought young people were clamoring for the vaccine given the, the flood of calls to pharmacies and such in the, in recent times, but I suppose it's all good stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, get, get vaccinated. Get people, vaccinated, everybody. Then go on a date. <laughs> super like someone today. <laughs> uh, I was at the cinema recently and they had an ad for the, they had an ad for the cinema itself that I was at and I was like, this is meta. And like, one of the things... Were you in the ad, ads? That would have been no, incredible. No, no, that would have upset... That, that would, uh, I'm like Principal Skinner in The Simpsons. I, uh, I, I, I don't give people the rights to use my image. I want it blurred. Um, <laughs> essentially, it was a thing where they were like, maybe you're here on a date. And I was like, I don't know if you want to be promoting that in the midst of a soaring pandemic. But listen, we're going to get off, you know, I feel like we probably turned everyone off already on this episode. You know, talking about football, talking about vaccinations. What about talking about James Murphy of LCD Sound System? How about that? Uh, Everyone's favourite hipster extraordinaire. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I actually like James Murphy. I'm going to race through this one. He basically said that he was uh, due to work with David Bowie on the Black Star album. Um, He was talking on Mark Maron's podcast, which I've actually never listened to, even though everyone says it's very good. And essentially he basically said like, you know, I was, you know, brought in and I thought it was going to be amazing and I just realised I didn't fit in and I couldn't really offer much and it was very sad and I regret it massively. So there you go, Craig, some vindication for um, that album you hate. <laughs> for, yeah, American Which isn't Dream. Blackstar, I should point you out. Know, Blackstar, I adore. Um, don't think it was missing James Murphy. James Murphy seems all right. He's done some great work, but American Dream. And do you remember when we reviewed that, like the whole thing was when he was talking about the, you know... Was he um, betraying the fans who'd gone to all of his kind of like farewell shows um, by getting the band back together? And his kind of big thing was like, David Bowie told me I had to do it. <laughs> and it was like, okay, that's seal of approval. You're mates with David Bowie. That's fair enough. Uh, I, think I think they're bringing it like a 10 year anniversary of that farewell show. So it really is being milked quite a bit. Yeah. Um, we talked on No Popcorn recently. I would encourage everyone to go listen to the most recent No Popcorn episode. It's about the film The Doors, which is about the band The Doors, although it's mostly about Jim Morrison. Uh, but there is other members of The Doors, including Robbie Krieger, the man who wrote Light My Fire. Um, yeah. I was surprised by this news this week. Robbie Krieger has announced his first ever memoir. I would have assumed... He would have written a bunch of these, but apparently, nope, this is the first official one. It's called Set the Night on Fire, Living, Dying and Playing Guitar with the Doors. And it sets to shed new light on the band's history. Craig, um, if a listener was so, uh, if a listener was so inclined and wanted to get you a Christmas present, would this be the kind of thing that you'd like to read on Christmas morning? 
Oh yeah, it's a, it sounds very festive. Um, as he goes into apparently heartbreaking detail about his life's most difficult struggles, ranging from do- drug addiction to his twin brother's mental breakdown to his own battle with cancer. I mean, yeah, um, stocking filler for sure. Um, I wasn't really surprised he didn't. He was kind of famously, um, if you'd previously read Doors books as I had, sadly, <laughs> the kind of stoic one, the one that like kept Stone and didn't really say much. He doesn't do a huge amount of interviews. Um, compared to the likes of Ray. So his take on things might be interesting. Uh, I don't think he was the world's biggest gym fan either. So uh, jokes aside, there could be some interesting stuff in this. I guess, I'm, am I reading this? <laughs> Maybe I am. I th- I'm curious, especially after our recent Doors experience. Yeah, uh, so it I. is, you know, it is over 300 pages though. Uh, here's some advertising bump. Through a series of vignettes, Krieger takes readers back to where it all happened. The pawn shop where he bought his first guitar. The jail cell he was tossed into following a teenage drug bust. His parents' living room where his first songwriting sessions with Jim Morrison took place. The empty bars and backyard parties where the Doors played their first awkward shows. The studios where their iconic songs were recorded. And the many venues where concerts erupted into historic riots. I mean, it sounds like a great book craig I, I don't see why you're being so negative about it quite frankly i'm just that kind of person i'm sure well, doors fans will lap it up they've lapped up plenty <laughs> that is true um if jim morrison existed today right and he was you know uh doing his histrionic bullshit all over town and black midi came to town i wonder if their paths would cross because black midi who we uh discussed in this show quite recently we had an album review section in which craig caused me to have a laughter-ridden breakdown uh, with oh, one yeah. of his one of his wonderful comparison analogies, which I very much enjoyed. We talked about the new record, Cavalcade, which I do like. Um, they had an announcement just today about their new UK tour, and they have announced their support act, but not really. They're going to have uh, a competition, essentially, an open mic competition, and the audience at the show's favourite entry on the night will win £100. They want people to email them directly with an audition tape, and that's what they're going to do. So they're not going to go for like cool hit bands. They're going to have a variety show. They say talents of all varieties are welcome. The only parameters will be your performance must not be over three minutes long. Musical instruments are not allowed. All the backing tracks are permissible. Stand up, magic tricks, storytelling, singing, juggling, whatever you believe will entertain the crowd and guide you to ultimate glory is welcome. Does this sound like a good idea or is this a bit too cute for Black Midi? I mean, it's very cute, so it's very Black Midi. They say ultimate glory, um, but you know, musical instruments are not allowed. It seems like they're scared of a bit of competition, a bit of healthy competition. Um, uh, this is kind of interesting. Although I do think like, you know, you've got to be thinking, all right, open mic thing with um, a bunch of punters at a big gig could be kind of fun. But if it's a black midi audience and I haven't been to a black midi show, but I've got to imagine it'll be quite a lot of like theatre students monologuing. I think that's a fairly safe assumption while also being a sweeping generalisation that will upset any black mini fan listening to this episode. But look, I'm here for. it happens. I mean, it could be worse. You could be at, at an Ed Sheeran gig or an, or an Eric Clapton show as well. I mean, like, oh, I feel Jesus. like both of those would be difficult. But what is the link there? Well, I'll tell you, listener, the link is that this week, Ed Sheeran, fresh from his uh, Three Lines heartbreak. Also, sorry, did you see Tom Cruise was at that game? Amazing. Yeah, he was hanging out with David Beckham. I think they he were at Wimbledon together as well. He yeah. gave him a fist bump after England scored and then the, then was never shown on uh, on camera again. I thought it would have been a thing where they would cut him quite often and they cut early on to the two lads. And BBC commentator Guy Mowbray was like, huh, a few good men. And it was like, all right, great. Good stuff. <laughs> few good men. <laughs> There's two of them. Um, so, <laughs> two good know. men. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, Ed Sheeran uh, is obviously uh, walking off that defeat, as is the rest of the English nation. Uh, but he has revealed that a guitar gifted to him by Eric Clapton was almost destroyed in a studio blaze, which, quite frankly, would probably be the best thing to happen to it. Uh, yeah. The singer-songwriter, this is Ed, said in a new interview that Clapton had signed a guitar for him and gave it to him as a present when Sheeran was visiting his home. Uh, Sheeran has previously spoken about Clapton being an icon of his, and the pair has since become good friends. He said, he was on that Hot One show, and he said, my hero is Eric. When I was 11, I heard Layla, picked up a guitar, and went from there. Got to know him in 2015, we've been friends ever since. Went to his house, he took his guitar off the wall and gave it to me. He signed the back and said, keep my guitar. I was like, fuck, cool. It was the only guitar in my studio at home when I was on tour, and the person looking after my house phoned me up and said, your studio's on fire. And I was like, oh no, the guitar is in there. Uh, it wasn't destroyed, but it suffered some damage. Sheeran said it was totally restored, but it smells like a burnt house. It plays amazing, looks amazing, kind of smells amazing, and it still has Eric's signature on it. That's my favourite guitar. Now, in fairness, I'm not surprised that Eric Clapton's signature is still on there and that fire couldn't cleanse it because Eric Clapton is a horrific human being who presumably has, uh, not, not presumably, does have horrible views about people. And I can't believe Ed Sheeran is endorsing this person in 2021. I was going to say, this is like, you know... That he's he's friends with the man. Good friend. Very suspicious. Um, Jim Morrison, God rest his soul, is a total angel compared to Eric Clapton. Give me Jimbo any day of the week. And yeah, it's a, as you say, the guitar survived. Um, I wonder, did like his signed copies of like Enoch Pell's speeches also survive the place? Yeah, for anyone listening who somehow does not know, Eric Clapton uh, has right previously, yeah. on more than one occasion yeah. at like his gigs, I guess it happened a long time ago, but I, you know, I can't imagine he's all that reformed. He could be, I don't know. But he, he's, he's, he's said some horrific racist stuff at his gigs and I'm not going to quote any of it, um, but like, bad not a good person. Yeah, I think the whole rock against racism movement in the 1980s that like, you know, Paul Weller, Billy Bragg, loads of artists um, led, was basically founded because of Eric Clapton, like directly because of that incident. That's how massive it was. And um, I think people kind of forgot about it. He's been hanging out with Van as well a lot recently, kind of. Dangerous, dangerous territory here. For the vaccination. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so one last thing from Ed, though. Um, he talked about, you know, experimenting potentially with his music and said I was really into death metal as a kid I listened to Cradle of Filth and Slipknot and all that stuff I'm not saying I could ever step into that world but I learnt all those riffs on guitar as a child there's something I've never thought about doing but something I would not be opposed to creating which ladies and gentlemen if you're listening if you're listening to me ladies and gentlemen I want you to know that this is an example of a quote that goes nowhere he will never do this ever he will continue to make uh, conveyor belt pop for the rest of his days and hopefully won't fall in with the likes of Van Morrison and Eric Clapton. Ed, <laughs> you're not my favourite musician, but I don't want you to go down that road. Cradle anyway, look, is a far safer bet. They're also not death metal and neither is Slipknot. At least get your fucking subgenres right, mate. We've got an episode for that, but now we've got an album review to get to. It's Vin Staples. He's back with his self-titled record. It's his fourth and it's a brief encounter, but one that has provoked quite a lot of very interesting reaction. Let's take a listen to it. Don't hide from this shit for life Had to fight for my life Took them hits and strike If I die for the guys Have my candlelight going up Like the club after that go slide Are you with that? I won't get back I'm gonna hop out and crack Are you with that? I want big racks I'm gonna flock, I'm gonna stack Are you with that? Won't forget that shit I saw in my past are you with that? Like I'm with that. Hope That's Are You With That? It's the opening track from Vince Staples' fourth album, which is called Vince Staples. Craig, who is Vince Staples? 
Ben Staples, uh, age 28, uh, claimed for Compton quite often, maybe second to Kendrick in the modern crop, but um, I think claimed because he's so good. Maybe my favourite of the two on his day, but raised in Long Beach. This is, yeah, uh, a personal record, self-titled. It could be called North Long Beach. Um, a lot of talk about his home life, his upbringing and not really being able to escape it. So going back a ways, he emerged as kind of an odd future adjacent artist and he was similarly kind of spiky forward thinking he was also made of mac miller um again you hear echoes maybe of, of mac here everything thereafter was kind of all his own debut album was a double summertime 06 and you had like Earthshakers like north north um he was actually talking about this project in contrast to summertime 06 and like it being so big and i'm kind of saying you can't get like no ID beats and DJ Dai beats on your first project and not use all of them. So he was kind of in demand, um, had his pick of beats and he just decided to use them all, which he felt actually in retrospect was a compromise. Never really compromised again. Uh, he has kept switching it up in terms of production and sounds. Big Fish Theory, I think, was um, beloved on this show. Um, where he was kind of looking more towards the UK and there was stuff like, you know, Garage Nods, James Blakey and Sadness, um, Amy Winehouse audio. I really adored. I listen to it all the time still. FM was the last release and um, maybe didn't make quite as big an impression. I think it was 22-ish minutes as well. It was also all Kenny Beats productions as here. That's kind of where the comparisons end, really. Um, that one was kind of like an ironic take on the consumption of black media. It had um, this kind of popular radio show as a framing device. Um, but yeah, it's... He's talked about having to compromise previously and making choices based on like competing in arenas, um, what the audience might expect. With this, it seems like no real audience in mind, hence the title. Uh, he's been recording a lot, but apparently this was only like six to eight sessions with Kenny Beats just to lay it all down. So Dave, did he capture lightning in a bottle or it's probably more of a kind of quiet storm, this record, right? Yeah, I think so. Certainly the latter. I mean, it's it's raised a lot of questions this week, I think. Um, and Vince Staples himself was on Twitter the other night responding yeah. to criticism from people uh, in his way in which he was just destroying everyone uh, in very casual fashion. Like people would come at him and be like, well, you know, lyrically for me, Vince, on this one. And he literally would quote to that and say, define lyrically. And then someone else would be like, like, I get where you're going for with the concept, but for me, it's not working. He'd quote that and be like, define concept. Like he was just doing this like <laughs> yeah. for fun. Um, and you know, it's, 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 it, he's, he's very sharp. I was having a conversation about him yesterday with somebody and I said like, why the fuck would you ever pick a fight with Vince Staples? Like, I don't want to sound like a big fanboy here, although I am, but I, I'm like, I'm not sharp enough. You're not sharp enough. He, he'll have you <laughs> like, he's so fucking good. Um, and I guess some people are disappointed by this because it's lo-fi as hell. I mean, like the clip I played you there is probably about as, frenetic as it gets you know i mean like it's followed quickly by a song called law of averages which has big time james blake energy and that was like the first single and when i heard that i was kind of like oh that wasn't what i was necessarily expecting but then again is that fair because his first album his first major studio album was a double album and it was very it has lots of downbeat stuff on there some incredible stuff like the song summertime alone is unbelievable mm. Um, I think a lot of people just want another Big Fish Theory, right? They want another metallic, you know, feature heavy, uh, really experimental, fast paced, sharp, you know, almost like dark summer anthem type stuff. And he hasn't been doing that. FM to me felt like a throwaway record, but it was interesting. 
Yeah. He then, at the time of that album, he was talking about, you know, oh, I've got four albums I'm going to release next year and then didn't. So last year was the first time since I think 2014 or 2015 that he hasn't released something. And usually even his EPs, like Pete Madonna EP is very substantial. So maybe we've come to, he's very prolific. Maybe we've come to expect, you know, a certain kind of signature, a certain kind of stuff uh, from him. But I'm with this album and I'm aware that I'm dancing around talking about it, which I will in a moment, but like, I'm, the reaction has kind of, I think, been part of the story. I mean, obviously today, in today's world, you know, music criticism is hyperspeed. Any kind of discourse is hyperspeed. And I was thinking about this record and I was like, trying to make a case for it in my head. And I was like, okay, this feels like an album that, you know, I was like, not even in 10 years, not even five, not even in one. It's already happening in less than a week. There are people saying, I think this is a slept on classic. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Because a lot of people have been like, this is boring. This is depressing. This is lo-fi. This doesn't go anywhere. These songs are too short. It feels throwaway. He feels disinterested. Um, there, there's a review of it of sorts over on Stereogum, a website that I absolutely love. I would encourage anyone to read. And it's written by, I think it's Tom Brehan, maybe, who I think has written for Pitchfork before. And he's clearly very respected, very good music journalist. But I read that one. I was very surprised by it. I thought it, I thought it completely misread the record. Uh, to quote him for a second, um, he said, Staples says he's got another album coming out this year. And I don't know if I believe him. Vin Staples, the album, is a thoughtful, cohesive, well-made rap record. But it seems to be a rap record, but its maker does not really like making rap rap, rap records right now. I respect the album as an artistic statement, but I don't really enjoy listening to it. It's a quick little mood piece from someone who's done much more gripping and immediate work in the past. Right now, Vin Staples sounds like he'd rather do just about anything else other than make rap records. So maybe he should go do something else. If he ever feels like making rap again, the music will still be right there for him and so will the audience. But if it's not in him, then he shouldn't force it. On Vin Staples, it sure sounds like Vin Staples is forcing it. Now, I don't agree with that. And I thought that was a very strange, contrarian almost take that gets it wrong because... First of all, this notion that, like, come back when you're having fun, Vince, like, I think is very unfair. And I don't think that this album is depressing. I don't think that this album is lost. I think it's very honest. I think it's very focused in that way. It's not necessarily a great time. That review also compares it to, like, the Tyler, the Creator record. And I don't hear, I don't hear the comparisons between those two records. I don't hear the comparisons between those two artists, really. I like them both. Um... Yeah, it's it's a tricky album. Um, I've been have I'm, I'm sure I'm going to talk more about this later on in the show. Potential spoiler alert for my top five, but like I've been having a very rough week mentally. Um, it was my birthday, and I hate my birthday. And with the exception of getting to hang out with a couple of friends for a couple of hours, even then I felt very disconnected and lonely and sad. And it's an unavoidable thing. It's a complex issue. Maybe it's just me being woe is me. But the point is, it's a day that kind of fucks me up. And this year it really fucked me up. And I felt as low as I felt all year or in a while. And it wasn't good. And I'm not fully out of it or anywhere close. Um, the reason I'm mentioning this is because this album simultaneously was a difficult listen. And also a very helpful one. Um, the track that we played you there, Are You With That? You know, most of the tracks on this are like north of two minutes. Some aren't even. Some of them aren't even full songs. Um, are you with that? I, it kind of picked me up. Um, it's a song in which Finn Staples is reflecting on 
how his life has turned out, I think, and people that he's lost, you know, his life is incredibly different to mine. Like, you, you can have that strange thing with art where you don't necessarily have to have a direct parallel. Like, Vince Staples is a lot younger than me. Um, he is from a very different part of the world. He grew up idolizing gangs. He talks about that on the song, like, you know, and how, like, he has former friends who are in the ground. Uh, he's, you know, this, this is a guy who's, like, you know, way more talented than I'll ever be. He has more money than I ever will have. You know, is cool, is handsome, is all these things. And he's on this track and he sounds depressed, you know, and I was like, okay, cool. He gets it, you know, and there was just something very specific about that song and very specific about the movement of it and where it went. And I just felt heard. I felt listened to, even though, you know, I'm sure I'll never even meet the guy. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a fix, you know, it wasn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily like help me that hard, but I just kind of tuned into it and I was like, yeah, no, this is kind of helping me kind of escape, I suppose, a little bit. And overall, um, yeah, I think on this one, and it's maybe contradictory to what I said before, because like, I think a lot of people are going to get from what they get from it. Maybe it is about what you put into it. And I think in the case of that review and other reviews that I've seen, I think people are expecting the wrong thing from Vince Staples on this one, ultimately. I think it's a very good album, and I think it's a very important Vince Staples album. It might not be the greatest thing he's ever done, it might not be the most enjoyable experience, but I think to write it off is to write him off at a crucial time, and it's the wrong thing to do. What did you think? Yeah, I also kind of wallowed in this album this week. Um, I found it very useful in that regard. I have seen plenty of kind of early critical acclaims around as well, just people kind of spotlighting as incisive writing uh, I don't think his pen's ever really been sharper he's got a really defined voice at this point he totally sounded like this was what he wanted to make um, if he sounded downbeat at all it was the subject matter for sure um, also kind of critics saying this maybe is his most accessible work which is struck me as odd but then as you say you know you've got the fans talking about missing his maybe a bit more gonzo approach to style high-minded concepts um, they're waiting for the next kind of left turn rather than like a kind of route one approach. I don't know if Eater is quite right. Like to me, a short album, um, supposedly accessible, actually to me it felt like it had the kind of veneer of accessibility because you've got the Kenny Beats stuff, which is, you know, the productions are sullen, they're like unassuming, but they're actually very, very like charged trap pop now. Do you know what I mean? It's still in the same wheelhouse as like a drake doing i'm upset it's that watery thing it's that sinister music box in the kids room do you know what i mean we hear a lot of that kind of thing at the moment i don't think it was too stand out in that regard um so you know it's still cut from a very fine cloth but it's the same cloth as as a lot of what's going on so it stumped me initially took some work um but you can put that work in when it's 22 minutes. Um, I got the Vince perspective the more I listened and his voice just cuts through completely. Um, and now I just kind of want to keep loop, looping it despite this kind of uniform gloom. Um, it is oppressive. It's heavy like the weather this summer and it's totally working for me. And now it's like he's kind of almost speaking into his own shirt, just intimately kind of listening over these kind of beats on his headphones and just working through stuff. It's kind of jaded. It's a slow motion sound. It feels very honest. There's no real adornments, embellishments. There's few kind of trills. Um, Like he's touched on this kind of material before uh, on top of like, you know, unbridled bangers, which I'm always here for. But this is just kind of real. And it's real throughout, you know, as you say, constant refrains of like, you know, dead homies. Um, There's the hometown nostalgia, but also him talking about 
those early tug kind of aspirations and now how those kind of doubts around that lifestyle are holding him back and the paranoia of like, you know, having a gun tucked in his beach shorts and when he's seeing fans, he's like too paranoid to shake their hands. It's the vulnerability of that upbringing overbeats that kind of bring to mind those locations. It's really laid bare. Um, it's maybe stuff that doesn't deserve the endorphin rush of some of his other material. And I think he knows that. I'm making it sound more kind of austere than it is. Like his distinctive kind of tenor voice runs through it. The way he runs over lines is a joy. And there's some lovely, lovely productions here from Kenny Beats. Um, but yeah, it actually, it, it will take a bit more work than you might think going into it. Yeah, I agree. Um, weirdly, though, I didn't feel too shortchanged. I mean, I've had that before. At one stage, of all people I thought about, I thought about Post Malone. And I was thinking about how on that last record, I think we reviewed it, and it was like, yeah. you know, the thing about Post Malone is like, for for whatever reason, for a lot of people, he's like the butt of a joke, even though I don't really see why he should be. I'm not his biggest fan. I don't think he's amazing. But I think he's very, very sharp and is incredible with hooks. And there's the frustration on that record where I was like, fuck, he's just, he's not committing to this. Like, he'll he'll do something amazing and then move on. And he'll do something amazing in the same thing, but it's just like, it's like two songs in one or something. Um, and I think, you know, in music, there can be a sense of, you know, and obviously on the album Yay, for example, uh, Kanye, like, I mean, that felt like unfinished, an unfinished script, you know, being rushed into production. And you're like, ah, you're like, that's more, like, like you're like, I can see what this could have been. I didn't get that from this. This felt like he said what he wanted yeah. to say. And he said it in the way he wanted to say it. And I don't need these songs to be two and a half minutes longer. I'm not saying it would work for everything or every one. And I did find myself at one point being like trying to talk myself into, oh, this could be, this could be his, this could be genius. This could be the greatest of, and I was like, I don't think it's that, but I do think it's an eight out of 10. And I do think he's important. And I think that this is a very interesting time for him. Even today, I think on Twitter, he was saying that like, on Spotify, like all these songs have hit over a million that hasn't happened before this fast or something. He's still not the biggest star in the world. He's not going to be. But I was very surprised by some of the reaction to it. I do think some reviews just completely missed the point. Although, as you say, for a 22 minute 10 track album, it actually does require a big commitment, I think. But I think the yeah, artist put in commitment as well. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. And he's often like tagged as a bit of a cult artist. And this might be his immediate cult album from, you know, everything you said. Um, we talk sometimes uh, doing these reviews about like, or I certainly have said before, about like trying to review the artist's intention, what they went in to do. And I think for what it is and what he set out to do, he totally nails this mood. Um, and I'm going to keep returning to it. There's something very alluring about its honesty. Uh, I think he really wanted to make it. I think it's exactly what he had to do. And I'm glad it's here. Eight out of ten. Right. Uh, I'm going to open the window, Craig. Why don't you set up the top five? It's gotten too warm. I have to do it. But, you know, <laughs> For keep sure. talking. So we'll keep it in the atmosphere. We've you know? already fun. started talking short albums. Um, some... I don't know if there was any spoilers there. Obviously, you know, when we talk short albums, we tend to go back to that summer, that Wyoming summer... <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's interesting to kind of get into what exactly is a short record, right? So there's the debate over what constitutes an EP. And for a long time, that was like 25 minutes and like four tracks, maybe. Whereas an LP had to be like 20 minutes aside, you know, that kind of way. What I come down to these days is like, what does the artist call it? Um, and I'm all here for like a sub half an hour album I think it's great I think we reached a point maybe just before those Wyoming albums where like 
particularly in rap and pop, we were getting very bloated albums, probably maybe to game the streaming thing. Like Amigos arrived with Culture 2 and it was like, do you remember that? It was like 24 tracks and it was just like, this is absolute nonsense. Just total bloat. So anything that's an antidote to that, it's great. It's the kind of thing you can digest quickly in a, like a short commute. I love the short album and we're going to talk about our five favourites. Yes, we are. Um, parameters for me this week were go with your gut, which I did. However, uh, my gut tells me, or rather our sonic architect tells us <laughs> yeah. that you should go first this week. So why don't you kick it off? Let's do it. Okay, my number five. And I'm not going to do that thing where I crowbar in two albums. I nearly picked uh, Nick Drake's Pink Moon, though, but it was very, you know, that is a sad album. It's summertime. We need something a bit uplifting, particularly after some of that chat. So I went with this guy. my hipster hat on that <laughs> uh, was Afrobeat Pioneer uh, Fela Kuti um, the album is Expensive Shit that was the title track uh, it came out um, mid 70s it was his 12th album released a lot of albums that man and um, plenty of sub half hour albums as well to check out this is like 24 minutes two sides two songs and it's just so good it's like the best entry point I think for Fela Kuti um Nigerian multi-instrumentalist, uh, band leader, gave the world Tony Allen, um, the greatest drummer of all time, some might say, uh, part of his Africa 70 band, which are like in their absolute pomp here. It's just them doing what they do best. So yeah, side A, side one is the title track, which is just got some of the most glorious horns on it you're, you're going to hear. And then side two is like the equally legendary Water No Get Enemy, which is just like this profound song. And I love the symmetry of the two. They're like these two kind of musical suites. And yeah, came along at a really eventful time in this artist's life. And it's like throughout the kind of early 70s, he was living in um, the Calcutta Republic in Nigeria, um, which was this compound that he had essentially, which had like his family in it, his bandmates and like a studio. So this was like he was racking up the albums because he was just holed up there. And he was basically voicing kind of very anti-militaristic views. The government there hated him. The police kept raiding this compound. So the title track and the album title is actually referring to how they kept kind of breaking into the compound, not finding much. So they started trying to plant drugs on him. And uh, they bust in one time, tried to plant um, some weed on him, which he immediately ate. So they're like, we're going to bring it to prison anyway and wait until you have to dispose of it. Hence the expensive shit. Um, and he managed to like, I think, get rid of it somehow. And he passed, he got out. And like the next year, told this story, released this album as like, you didn't get me on that one, boys, which I just love. Um, and as I say, the, the second track is kind of more sacred. It's like a real kind of profane and sacred mix. Hugely political, but just great fun to listen to. Like, it's just so vibrant and great and transportive. And I love it. It's a great entry point, as I said. 
I like that you've set this up as like, you know, ah, you know, bit angsty there, Finn Staples, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lighten the mood, I'm going to keep it summary. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. The geopolitical, yeah, horror. (laughs) Yeah. And like, like shocking literalism there at the end as well. Um, Those grooves, Dave. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I mean, it speaks for itself, but I will say in a contrast, I'm, I'm just scanning over my list now, panic, like in, in, in a panic being like, Oof, there's not much chill on here. <laughs> so, yeah, let's dive into mine, shall we? Uh, here's okay. a, a recent discovery of mine who I've been banging on about for a bit, and I debated leaving them off because of that, but I was like, nope, this qualifies, it's going in. It's only 20 minutes long as well. Here we go. I There's a lot to be said about raw expression, isn't there? Forget subtlety sometimes. This is Touche Amore, and the yeah. record is Parting the Sea Between Brightness and Me. It's from 2011. Um, listeners to the show will know that Touche Amore were a band I got into literally like in October of last year when yeah. they released Lament, which is their fifth album. I'd never heard of them before. And like, I'd never heard of them at all, which kind of shocks me. They're a post-hardcore band from Los Angeles, California. Screamo, emo, hardcore. And I'm like, what the fuck? How did this band completely not be on my radar? until just now i fell in love with that record i fall in love with the band um i hit purchase on the vinyl of this just this week this album as i was listening to it for the show and i was like yeah no, i want that one which weirdly enough will now be the fourth vinyl of this band that i own and i only have gotten into them months ago uh they just speak to me on that raw primal level man um this album like i say is 20 minutes long 20 and a half minutes the song you heard there is called method act and it's frontman jeremy bohm doing what he pretty much does on all, all of the records I've heard. Uh, it's just incredibly guttural stuff. Um, and it made me think about how, like, I'll always have time for abstract and complex and artful and holding back and restraint and subtlety. But I do think, and this is hardly a revelation, but I, you know, I talk all the time about, like, you know, having a physical response to music. And having a physical response to music, I think, is the most beautiful thing about loving music. And whether it's a Wu Life or a Kanye or a band like Touche Amore, that's what does it for me. And I guess with this band as well, what I'm learning about them, and I am learning about them, and I'm, you know, really praying that they're all sound people, (laughs) because at this point I'm like, it's all working for me. Like, what could possibly go wrong? Um, there's, it's just, it's hard on your sleeve to an, an extreme extent, but the music is always so straight ahead and very, very fast. Like, this is their shortest album, but they don't do long albums. They don't really do long songs. It seems that Lament, the album I fell in love with there a few months ago, wasn't quite a departure, but it was a bit more, I don't know if accessible is the right word. You know, they worked with Ross Robinson on it and it, it felt, it felt a bit more polished maybe, but I still think it's absolutely brilliant. And it has been a joy, um, to go back through their back catalogue. Usually I'm kind of intimidated by that kind of thing when you get, you know, you jump on a band that I've been around for a while, but I've been loving kind of literally every second of it. And the seconds on this one count. And at 20 and a half minutes, I'm just like, yeah, let's do it again, man. Like, let's just fucking go there. And like I say, I'm not having a great week and stuff like this does help me. Um, I've never been apologetic about it. I've never been like, ah, this is like, whether it's like, you know, for example, like my often cited love for new metal, I, 
I don't think that there is really like a snobbery too hard. I don't know people who would dismiss this kind of music at all, but I just, I guess, you know, I don't know if I have much of a point here apart from like, I really, really do value. I increasingly value this kind of expression. I do think Mm. that it's actually, as I get older, literally get older this week, I have so much time for what I might once have considered immature. I don't consider it immature at all. I consider it the height of maturity when it's done right and done well and done with heart. And that's what I got from this record. So there you go. Yeah, I would agree. It's, you know, that thing of like, you're not hiding behind anything and that is pure art. Great band. What was it? 22 minutes? 20, 20, 20 minutes, minutes and 47 seconds. 20 minutes. Okay. All right. So we're there, there a little, little competition going here. So how low can we go? Not, not in terms of emotion, in terms of runtime. I've got you beat on this one, Dave. Here we go. <laughs> I'm tired of trying love. You try to buy my love. I'm tired of crying love. You try to buy my love. My love, I Okay, yeah, a bit downbeat as well. In fairness, Tierra Whack, Whack World, um, 15 minutes in length. Um, this was another one that featured in one of my end of year lists really high up. Uh, it was 2018. Um, it was a late in year discovery for me as well at the time and I was blown away. I love the concept. So it is um, one minute tracks is what you're getting. Um which is great. There's 15 of them. Uh, it's it's actually 14 minutes and 56 seconds. And what's remarkable is for a debut album, how fully formed her sound is, but also how fully formed every one minute song is here. It doesn't feel like you're getting vignettes. I never felt like, oh, are we going to get extended mixes of these whatsoever? And she's released stuff that breaks that runtime since and it's all been great. But I keep coming back to this one as well, for sure. So Tierra Whack um, is a Philly artist, um, kind of self-produced or produced with a kind of mate that showed her the ropes, Kenneth uh, Sims, I believe. And this is quite a visual record as well. She did kind of videos to accompany um, each track and kind of put together a short film, which is just great as well. She's a lot of wit. Um, there's a kind of psychedelic, surreal feel to things and magical realism, which I love as she talks about her childhood, like she, she always talks about being a huge fan of Dr. Zeus and that kind of weirdness and childlike innocence creeps into it. But she can do songs like, you know, on the one hand she'll do Pet Cemetery, which is about like, you know, missing her dog. But then you'll have a track like that one, which we has heard hookers, which is, you know, sex worker solidarity and just quite sad and like beyond her years. And she is an immense talent. Um, she feels like she comes from the same, perspective region of sound is like an outcast or something like that she just could really change things um it's early days but yeah i think she's still one to watch and definitely one to listen to um which leads me in perfectly to what i wanted to say next did i i read it in passing but did i not read a thing last week that she might be retiring from music or what? was like 
Hang I on, did I'm, read that last well, week. Yeah, see, like, let, let, let me look this up because it could be completely oh. wrong. All right. But I don't want to break your heart. I will say, as I look this up in a bid to keep the audio going and not provide dead air, uh, I'm happy to spoil it at this point. I don't have uh, a shorter album than 15 minutes or even the, I think the Tissue More album one is my shortest. 15 minutes, Craig. I mean, like, yeah. well, okay, well, what, what would you say to people who are like, that's ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. And like, you know, whether it's a bang for your book capitalism thing or just like, come on, man, they can't call that an album would you be like you know fuck it stay in the 60s square i don't know yeah, I, I would say that exact, use that exact terminology. I mean, you're getting 15 tracks. They're fully formed songs. I don't feel like there's anything missing. They're just really condensed. Um, really great. There's like a vitality, I think, because there's not any padding. It's not like it's a handful of tracks that are just kind of sprawling and they're dashed off. There's a lot of work that went into this. I would say more work that would go into a lot of 40 minute albums. So it's it's definitely an album from concept to execution. Yeah. That would be my argument. Posting on her Instagram story at the end no. of June, Tierra Wack said, I quit. I'm done doing music with no reasons given. And I don't know if it's been walked back or not, Craig. I think that feels the- like maybe an in the moment thing, doesn't it? It's just like a kind of for fuck's sake kind She's of She's 24. Really? Like, and it's just, it's just when you're, when you were saying like, she could be the next outcast. I was like, well, hold your horses. I think she yeah, might be. Missy Elliott. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's nothing. Maybe she was just blown off steam. But, um, all right. So, um, speaking of blown off steam and creating a storm in the process, let's go to the mid 1980s. be there didn't it it is of course yeah. slayer the record is rain in blood that song is raining blood and it rained down heavily on the american metal scene in the in the 80s one of the most influential metal albums you got going it's the third album from the band released by def jam finn staples record label that he's on yep and he doesn't produced own it. by rick Not rubin right uh, it Adam's is, in fact, yeah. the first collaboration between Slayer and Rick Rubin. You are correct. Um, yeah, controversial, of course. Like, this is your classic, you know, like you go onto any Slayer album, you scroll down and you find the button marked controversy. And there's lots in there because uh, on this one, there's a song called Angel of Death, which refers to Joseph Mengele and concentration camps. Sorry, by the way, I never thought I'd say this sentence, but while I'm on the subject of concentration camps, can can oh Irish God. politicians <laughs> in particular, can, I, yeah, can, can politicians, but specifically Irish rural ones, please stop comparing the pandemic to the holocaust anytime that you want to stop doing that lads that'd be great cool. it's, it's well, getting they're all listening <laughs> i assume we have a massive listenership um i know stephen donnelly is an online fan so uh, I, I wonder what you know if there's any irish politicians out there that listen to this show can we have healy raises patrons <laughs> i would like to have pascal donahue because we saw him at that vampire weekend gig that time so oh, yeah his fingers on the pulse and, and at the heart of the nation's financial matters, what am I doing? Slayer. Rain and blood. Slayer. You're talking about trash metal. <laughs> Why not? Um, I, um, yeah, I'm not pro Pascal Donahue. Seems like a nice guy. I, I wouldn't vote for You're him. You're pro Slayer. I'm going to stop now. Okay. Right. Adam is saying, cut, cut. Adam is constantly uh, making the throat slash gesture. <laughs> talking about Angel of Death. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, yeah, hell of a song. 
hell of a band slayer man i'm i've completely lost my train of thought but it's fine um this was an album that was very well received even though people were of course were like but the children but that's what slayer's whole yeah. gimmick is um i read a quote by a rapper by the name of necro who said he was heavily influenced by the record and said <laughs> it takes him back to the 80s quote when shit was pure um slayer are for me maybe this album by the way i should note is 28 minutes and 55 seconds long so just getting in there um Slayer are definitely one of those kind of, how would you describe it? Like the Ron Seal comparison is so played out. What you see is what you get. I don't know. But it like a Slayer album is a Slayer album. They don't yeah. mix it up too often, but this is them at their peak. It is incredible. And I threw it on this week and was like, yeah, this is genuinely one of the best metal albums that there ever has been and ever will be. I feel like Slayer simultaneously do get the respect they deserve and don't probably because they're so formulaic, but like, what else are they going to do? Ballads? <laughs> this is such a great distillation of that sound um you know not for no reason it was included in so many q magazine buyers guides of like if you get one <laughs> trash album do you know what i mean really is a blueprint i think was this the same year as master of puppets i think it was around that time it feels like you could listen to both of those and get the full breadth of trash maybe 86 and, sounds right, a service yeah. to an entire genre but you know what i mean that's kind of a, a nice yin and yang um two very different records but both great all right, let's go to my number three. And the goddamn record company nearly made this ineligible. So we're going with the OG version of this. had a right little chuckle to himself during that one what was all that about man you know you picked the lemon heads and um people are probably expecting some upbeat indie pop and i picked the clip with the hope in my past line just keeping it downbeat um with rudderless there taken from it's a shame about ray released in 1991 nearly said the early 90s because i'm not sure i think it was 1991 the original release was 29 minutes and 46 seconds and then after the single uh their cover of mrs robinson which is like serviceable and it's fine took off the label were like you have to put that you know tack it on the end as they used to do with lots of cds which bumped it up to 33 minutes but um i don't listen to that version dave so it's all good um recently featured maybe not that recently but the Lemonheads cropped up in my favorite kind of like live performances on tv shows sorry can i just and it was yeah I, go ahead. I, I don't want to step all over you but i also like we never talk about this band i don't know much about them apart from they're fronted by evan dando what is the legacy of the Lemonheads? do you think they don't really have a legacy anymore except for evan dando was like <laughs> a big star kind of pretty boy um arrived at a time of grunge um they weren't really grunge at all. He just had long hair, kind of more big star power poppy. I don't think they've ever had a proper comeback. Um, I think he squandered maybe a lot of his opportunities. He had, you know, he's been, he 
He's had substance problems over the years and I think they were seen as a bit like throwaway at a time when there was a lot of soul bearing from the likes of Kirk Cobain, even your Billy Corgans. Your Billy Corgans, your Eddie Vedders. <laughs> There's a lot of soul bearing in, in these songs, but um, they're very pretty and he was very pretty. Um, so I think people kind of dismissed him, but he was such a tremendous songwriter um, that I wish they had more of a legacy. They certainly do in my book. Um, but yeah, that live live performance was like, we talked about it at the time, that Letterman thing where he's like, he starts off by saying, they were going to play Mrs. Robinson, but I asked if they do something that they, you know, actually wrote from the album. And Evan Dan, I was like, yeah, thanks, man. I get to play a song I wrote. And he does It's a Shame, but right, the title track. And it's, it's brilliant. There's a nice back and forth. But yeah, such a great writer. Um, most of this album was written when he was on like a kind of gap year in Australia, I think. He fell in with a band called Smudge. And I think Tom Morgan from that band actually helped him write a lot of the songs. They worked together really well. Um, and it's just great. The songs are brilliant pop, great melodies. Um, and then the production of this from the Rob Brothers, it, it just makes it warmer, more polished, and it's like as sturdy as kind of oak furniture. Um, it's sublime, I think. It's near perfect for what it is. And uh, people should check it out because it's an easy listen, <laughs> despite how we open this. <laughs> um, before we move on, it's come up now a couple of weeks in a row. You know, it's maybe becoming an elephant in the room. I would like to know the Q Buyer's Guide. Um, how many of these do you have? How much faith did you put in them? And how often did they actually like reward you for having that faith? Do you know what? As much as like we kind of... Uh, one of the sticks that was used to beat Q Magazine was that they would constantly have lists. <laughs> like every second issue, or maybe every issue was like the 100 greatest guitar tracks or blah, blah, blah. I guess when you're like 13 and 14 trying to get into music and you don't have much idea of the canon or where to even begin... I mean, they had some great writers and they had people with great musical taste and it was actually quite diverse in terms of... So you would get like... They do stuff like um, your introduction to The Cure and they'd have like, here are their classics, here are the blah, blah, blah. So at a time when you'd have to buy CDs, you could just kind of... You knew to get, say, Disintegration first and you wouldn't be wasting 20 quid on something that was a bit throwaway. So actually, yeah, it was invaluable as a buyer's guide. Probably isn't so much the role of a critic anymore, right? Because people can just listen to Spotify. It's more about expanding the story, kind of adding layers of analysis and kind of reframing stuff. But back then it was like, okay, what am I going to spend with my pocket money? So it was actually great for that. Hey, you could argue they're ahead of their time with the whole list thing. You know, that was like a fucking digital <laughs> yeah. domain forever. Um, when the likes of BuzzFeed and stuff took off. But anyway, that's a story for another day and a podcast that I wouldn't really want to listen to. And neither would you, listener. My number three we're this gonna week. We're going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Dave and Craig analyzed the media. Um, a six part series. Uh, so uh, my number three this week is, and I don't want you to spoil this, or anything but my number three is i expect will be your number one let's go you don't take these type of risks boy because this boy been throwing that d like rich boy you miss boy your numbers don't add up on the blow that was 10 years ago if you know you know if you know you know You know, you know, this thing of ours, oh, this thing of ours, a fraternity. So, <laughs> well, who's that? <laughs> well, Craig, it's Pushy T uh, with the track, If You Know You Know, live on, I think, Jimmy Kimmel. It's from the record yeah. Daytona, which came out in the aforementioned Wyoming summer of 2018, produced by Kanye West. Um... I have to be honest and say that when this was coming out, I think it was Higgs 
mentioned he was like new Pusha T man and I think I was like I either said he's not very good is he or I said something like well uh, well, hold on hold on I have to come clean as a man that said before that Runaway might be one of your favourite Kanye songs I know I know it's it's pure ignorance it's pure ignorance Adam is standing in his kitchen doing the washing and he's pointing at the screen accusatorially and laughing I'm just being honest I push a T I slept on push a T you know like I didn't you know I missed out Um, I uh, ignorant of me purely ignorant I, I, I just lumped him in with like future or something I just didn't think he was and who's not bad either, by the way, but he's no, he's no push T, is he? <laughs> Landmines so, everywhere. So, like, cause I, I know Higgs listens to this show and I don't want him to think that I'm sitting here being like, well, ladies and gentlemen, my fandom of Pusha T goes all the way back because it doesn't. Um, and I remember he was kind of like, Pusha T's fucking amazing, man. What are you doing? Yeah. He's like, you're missing out on like an incredible artist. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then Daytona comes along and I was like, okay, yeah, sorry. Now I get it. Um, this is unbelievable. This album could only be better. If the story of Adidon was on it, which, by the way, I have, of course, gone back to this week. And my God, it just gets better with age, doesn't it? Woof. So good. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I guess, though, like this album is so much about ending with um, setting the trap for young Drake. <laughs> I don't think you could have this. You need that gap. You need the bullish comeback where Drake was like dispensed with another one. He's just like Meek. And then you get the drop. Um which just added to the story so much. It was the story of Adidon. Um, yeah, this album is uh, 21 minutes and 8 seconds long. Uh, I think it's incredible. I think it has, in a very short space of time, I think it's aged incredibly well. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I was thinking, not really paying attention to Push T for so long. I, I really did miss out. But I didn't miss out on this, which is, which is important. Um, I looked up a clip this week. He was on Vanity Fair, presumably around the time of this coming out. And he was... Um, the website Genius that we mention all the time, the lyric website, which often has uh, annotations and interpretations, sometimes official people get involved. It's very, very cool. It's a great resource. Uh, he was looking at interpretations of people's interpretations of his lyrics. So here is him responding to someone on the internet's take on If You Know You Know, which we've just heard. Lyrics for If You Know You Know. The company I keep is not corporate enough. Child rebel soldier, you ain't orphan enough. A rapper turned trapper can't morph into us, but a trapper turned rapper can morph into puff. Lyric interpretation for If You Know You Know by username Aned. Pusha says that since good music and its affiliates are children, rebels, and soldiers, then that's not very corporate of them. But the intention seems to be more teasing how other businesses won't take them as seriously due to their members and affiliates, but they're still successful. That's not true. I'm basically saying the company I keep is in corporate. I'm still next to a lot of my friends with street ties. They're child rebel soldiers. They're, these are wild children. And I'm saying that the person who I'm speaking to, you're, you're not orphan enough. You're not, you haven't been through these hardships. A rapper turned trapper can't morph into us. It's like, you know, a lot of people start rapping and then they put on these personas of trapping. But a trapper turned rapper can morph into puff. A trapper turned rapper can end up being successful because people believe in him and they believe, you know, how he conveys his message. And for all the trappers, puff is like the finish line. He embodies the goal of making it in the music business for most guys who are hustlers. So um, one of my big takeaways from listening to that is that we need more album commentaries like director's commentaries and Pusha T needs to not just do them for his own but for everybody's (laughs) because the way like that became like inception at one stage I was like the way he was just like like mirroring everything and I was just like I don't know what he's saying but I kind of do he's incredible um yeah 
Yeah, it's an amazing album. Uh, critically very, very well received. Um, Clayton Purdom of the AV Club said that this is that they, Daytona is an absolute masterpiece of minimalism, complimenting both the album's production and lyricism. Exclaim said it boasts a mostly sinewy and understated sound that will leave hip hop heads in revelry. An online hip-hop publication, Hip Hop DX, said that Daytona provides a fitting backdrop for some of the most grim, relentlessly murderous raps Pusha has ever rhymed, also crediting Kanye West production and the album's runtime, which, as noted, is under 22 minutes long. I think it's a modern classic. Maybe we'll talk about it again later. I don't know. Craig, if you want to go on to your next selection. Yeah, okay, for my runner-up, um, it is the tail end of May 2018. It's a Friday morning. I was in the middle of my master's. I think assignments and kind of exams had just ended. It was, I was about to commence this big, long push to this showcase thing we had to do. And I was like padding around my kitchen, barefoot, distracted by the summer weather. I was in our chat and I think I was talking to Josh, big Josh, and I was mentioning um, a rapper that had just dropped a record. <laughs> and I had it on in the background. I was half listening. I was like, this is really good. This is actually great. It got to about track four. And I kind of did an entire body double take. And I was like, hold on a second. Is it th- is it that good? And I went back to the very start and I hit play. And this happened. Lines when trappers started throwing bands. Where were you when Big Meats brought the tigers in? Cause I was busy earning stripes like a tiger skin. Brick layers and ball shorts. Coaching from the side of the ball court. If you know, you know. One stop like a Walmart. We got the tennis balls for the wrong sport. If you know, you know. If you know about the carport, the trap door supposed to be awkward. If you know, you know. That's the reason we ball for Circle round twice for the encore If you know, uh, you know. Fox once again I, I, Anytime I try and predict your number one I'm either It's either not in there Or I'm like just one or two off I'm getting closer though But sorry, hang on, sorry I, I'm, I'm just zoning out I'm kind of rambling Who is this? This is a uh, mate of Kanye West <laughs> The head of good music uh, Pusha T, Daytona This is one of my favourite rap songs of all time I think I've decided at this point the second song on the album is just as good. The third is kind of just as good. Um, even Comeback Baby is great as well. Santeria just mixes things up and makes everything really epic. Then you've got the kind of Drake baiting, which is tremendous. A shout out to Kanye West, of course, producing everything on this uh, as he did with that entire run. I think this in particular is one of his best beats of all time. Um, if you listen to the original samples taken from 12 o'clock, uh, Satanial, I believe it's called, but it's just totally unrecognisable. I don't know how he plucked this kind of bit of propulsive genius out of it, but he did. And yeah, that that May-June run was, um, I guess it'll be forever legendary for numerous reasons. Um, this was a huge highlight, though, to lead the charge, push leading the charges, as always. Um, and we got Nas's album, Nazir, and um, I think the worst thing about that album was probably Nas didn't quite bring it. Um, I think he didn't really know the beats uh, Ye was going to give him, even though I think they were great selections for him and he kind of phoned it in. Whereas Pusha T talking about making this album and the madness of the Wyoming stuff was just like, if you want to make an album with Kanye, you have to be in studio with him all the time. You have to be willing to challenge what he's going to do and vibe off him. And I think he can hear that with the beats. He's like, they're riffing off each other. It's just so good. The back and forth, the interplay. And then, like, Pusha T hadn't released something in quite a while. 
And King Push was like the long-awaited third album from him, which still hasn't materialised. And it was going to be way longer, of course. And Kanye did his whole, like, I'm just feeling, really feeling seven tracks and I'm going to do the whole thing. And Push was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. And like argued with him about it. But then, of course, once the album was released, he was the most bullish man around. And um, in every interview where people were just like, why are you only giving us seven songs? That's not an album. Uh, I've got a quote from Push here who was really selling it and just saying, um, man, if we can't kill you in seven songs, we don't really need to be doing the music. <laughs> the music. <laughs> Good music is always known for going against the grain. I feel like right now everyone has 20 songs on their album, which we spoke about, 18 songs on their album, and it's like, for what? With us, you know, it's quality over quantity. That's what we're about. And yeah, this is this is just fantastic. I still listen to it absolutely constantly. Um, you were right to think it would um, place high. And here it is, my number two. But not your number one. I do love him. I love him so much I can forgive the Pixie Lot feature. That was just an utterly bizarre thing. Uh, (laughs) He's amazing. He's great. Uh, Nothing but love. And I I, I desperately wish Drake had have kept that thing going. And his pathetic, cowardly, like, oh, I mean, like, I have a song, but I won't release it. (laughs) It's too bad. It's like, (laughs) it will end careers. It was like, it was very much like, oh, yeah, I've got a girlfriend who's from a different town. You wouldn't know her, wasn't it? Yeah, (laughs) the um, the surgical summer did not last long. But man, again, what a summer. The story of Adidon, Jesus, so good. Daytona, amazing. Pusha T rules. Uh, My runner up this week, I initially, it was the first album I thought of when I thought of this list. So I put it in at my number one. I ended up moving some stuff around but uh this is my runner-up it's i think I, I think this is a singular record and an incredible vision of someone who was gone too soon i look into your eyes and try not to cry think about time now your soul is not wasted oh it's such a shame oh it's such a shame and that guitar freak just goes on and on that is uh, an artist by the name of jay reatard that's r-e-a-t-a-r-d just so everyone knows i'm not saying anything offensive that's his artist name and the album is blood visions james lee Lindsay jr was the real name of jay reatard a musician who unfortunately passed away at the age of 29 at the start of 2010 uh he'd been complaining of flu-like symptoms went to sleep didn't wake up and yeah. a coroner's report later said that cocaine toxicity and alcohol was contributing factor in his death i think members of his family have tried to open up a homicide investigation i don't know there hasn't really been a lot of talk about it in, in in intervening years. Um, he was a punk um, who was a very DIY guy and was in loads of bands, and including like one called The Reatards. He was in a band called Lost Sounds. This was his first kind of solo stuff under that name. He would release one more album called Watch Me Fall a couple of years after this one, which is very good. But Blood Visions, this record, which clocks in at 29 minutes and nine seconds. It's 15 tracks long. That song, by the way, is called Oh, It's Such a Shame, and it's amazing. Um, I've just never heard anything like it before since. Um, I remember when I was in college kind of happening upon it I don't know if it was through Pitchfork or the, the hype machine or the Sound Opinions message board but it was definitely one of those kind of jaunts of mine around a time when I was kind of quote unquote properly getting into music or at least kind of really beginning to appreciate it a bit more than I previously had been um, trying to broaden my horizons 
I don't know much about punk. I don't know much about the DIY punk scene in America, but this guy before, even before his death was very much a cult figure on the rise. Um, I remember myself and my often mentioned friend, Adam, were going to go see him. He was due to play up in Whelan's upstairs in Whelan's and we got there and it turned out he'd missed his ferry and there was no gig. And we were like devastated by that. And we were like, well, we'll get him again. And he did actually play Whelan's, the main room, I think about six months or a year later, and I just missed it. And then again, you're like, oh, I'll get him again. And then, of course, mm. unfortunately, tragically passes away. Uh, Blood Visions is an incredible, uh, frenetic, like, we talked about, like, Vince Staples, like, you know, having short songs and, you know, like, maybe not fully fleshing things out. That's a lot of what this album is. I mean, if a song on this album is two and a half minutes long, that's long for what's on this album, but it's, it's a sonic punch to the face. It's also very charming. It's funny. It's always fucking moving. It's, it's incredibly noisy, but it doesn't, you know, bother the ear. And I'm just, I'm, I'm endlessly, uh, arrested by his invention and just where he goes with some of these songs and how he does it. And it genuinely does sound like someone who is, uh, begging for your attention, but you can't look away. And I think it is, I, I, I think it's a modern classic. I think it's an unbelievable album. It's this style of punk music, this style of kind of that kind of DIY rock. It's not necessarily one I'm, I, I, I'm always drawn to. Like it is, it's unvarnished to the point of it being, you know, like corrugated steel or something like, but at the same time, it's an incredible statement, an album I often return to. And the first one I thought of when it came to this list. So check it out. Interesting. Okay, my number one. Um, I know your number one, Dave. It's not my number one. Okay. <laughs> As we talk about punk, this is kind of year zero for punk. Um, certainly never really bettered. Certainly the blueprint. Here we go. I want to be your boyfriend. Uh, the Ramones from The Ramones, 1976, um, 28 minutes, 52 seconds. And that is a song written by the drummer Tommy, who also co-produced this. And all of the Ramones, I think Barb, maybe Johnny, just wrote absolute classics. This is one of them. This is a great example of like their... The Ramones, of course, are like so connected with punk, but they had a big kind of 60s girl group obsession. And, you know, that whole kind of spectre stable of artists and this totally has that vibe it's very very disarmingly sweet as a lot of their stuff was but also it becomes incredibly subversive when you think of like you know we talk about diy this is like i think recorded for six grand in seven days uh, a victory for music journalists i think there was a journalist from uh, the hit maker or the hit parader or something that like convinced some studio to let the Ramones uh, make an album. Um, glad they did. But yeah, it gets kind of a bit more subversive as well when you have a song like I Want to Be Your Boyfriend rubbing shoulders with Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue. A song like Havana Affair, which is dealing with like the various times the US tried to oust Castro. And they were a weird band, a band of like 
total lovable outcasts and weirdos that were doing this uniform thing in terms of their outfits, in terms of their sound. They were a real unit. And they were just totally authentic. You know, UK punk is probably talked about a lot, but I think they just imported everything the Ramones were doing for like the Sex Pistols. It was way more fabricated. They didn't quite have the songs. And the Ramones are interesting because, you know, to an extent, I think they had classic albums like Rocket to Russia and other ones that might be slightly better than this overall. But it was very much maybe the ACDC or Slayer school of diminishing returns slightly. But they certainly created something. And um, oh, it just, I hadn't listened to the Ramones in years and when I went back to them this week just kind of like hit me like a truck how good they were I've totally went back to being a teenager and getting into punk and like it was making me laugh thinking of like hanging out with lads in school and we'd be like yeah we're like we're alternative and we're like getting into all these punk bands and we myself and like I don't know Seamus or Raw or something before our class would be like talking about how great the fucking Ramones were and then we'd be saying yeah I want to be your girlfriend it's great summer all these kind of real sweet love songs it was just like Terribly romantic stuff altogether, but what a band. Yeah, it's my number one. Uh, Before we move on to mine, how do you feel about, you know, the latter day commodification slash, I suppose, pop culture kind of twisting? Yeah, the the (laughs) t-shirts, all the kind of, like, you know, often supported by people who don't know who the fuck. Like, I don't don't care about that kind of thing, but um, they have become a weird avatar over time, right? I guess because they had such a distinctive image and... Let's be honest, great branding. Um, they were just geniuses um, that somehow found each other. And the sad part of that is that they never really found huge success when they were, all the original members died very, very young and just kind of like tragic kind of life stories. And they wanted to be, I think it was actually pretty punk. People might say it wasn't punk, but they clearly wanted to be like the biggest band in the world if they could. But they looked odd and they would do a song like Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue and they were never really going to make it, but they pushed and pushed and it didn't quite happen until sadly, like by the 90s, they were starting to pass away and that's when, you know, ad agencies started using the songs and the t-shirts were everywhere and like urban outfitters and stuff and it's yeah really bittersweet um if it inspires one person to pick up like i don't know ramon's anthology all the better though i guess well my number one this week is an album that very much inspired me uh one hates to be predictable but why play games when you can instead feel the love what a chorus So I realised to my horror there mid intro that I was I was going very like BBC Radio Two intro there, and I was just like, "Oof, this feels uncomfortable." Uh, this is, of course, Kids See Ghosts, self-titled record, Kanye West, Kid Cudi from the same Wyoming sessions in 2018. That song is the opening track called "Feel the Love." Um, you know, I'm I'm conscious that like there may be people listening who don't know my history with this thing, but I'm sure lots of listeners do. Long story short, uh, when this came out in the summer, I think it was the summer of 2018. Um, I was in a particularly yep. bad way, mental health wise. This is an album that deals a lot with mental health, um, and you know. I think it's an incredible, uh, it's an incredible statement of friendship, I think, especially with these two guys who, you know, previously were so close, then fell out over petty stuff, got back together. 
And I think ultimately as well, it's Kid Cudi's album more than it's Kanye's. Not that it's not that it's a competition, but it just feels like there's kind of an incredible. I don't know. The, 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 there's a like for all of Kanye West's, you know, kind of supposed negative points. I think he's very unselfish on this record with this project and probably with a lot of the stuff, even the push to the album, like that beat alone for, if you know, you know, he could have kept that for himself, but he didn't. Um, and I think on this one, like this is an example of like people rising up from, 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 from being down and kind of rising from the ashes and Kid Cudi in particular just carries this thing like an actual musical angel. Um, when I first heard it, I remember it cause I've felt this way recently as well. Um, sometimes, uh, when my own kind of depression or anxiety or both, hits me hard um there can be times when i can find myself sitting in front of a laptop trying to write something whether it's something mechanical for work or even putting together the podcast or whatever and it's genuinely like a physical sensation where my arms and my wrists and my fingers begin to just not work um they feel like lead they feel like broken pieces or something and i can't really do it i can't really function like i literally can't physically function my brain and my body won't actually sync up together and I remember when I was working in Joe in, in, in that job, there was one morning when I was in there and I was, I was feeling like that and I wasn't able to do anything. And then a colleague saw this, she came into work and she took one look at me and she was like, yeah, no, you're like, are you all right? You seem to be completely fucked. Although she said it in much, you know, a much nicer way than that. And essentially, um, long story short, I was like, yeah, no, I need to go home. And I met a friend and I tried to kind of recover a bit. But even then, when I went home after that, I crashed once again. That was the day that this album came out. And I hadn't even particularly been like, I don't think I was counting the seconds. I was definitely intrigued and I was definitely, you know, wanted to hear it. But uh, it had an incredibly transformative effect upon me. It's kind of a go-to for me when I'm in a bad place. Although I haven't actually really listened to it too much this week because I've kind of been... I've kind of been a bit nervous about doing that for some reason. Like maybe I've I've kind of built it up so much in my head as some kind of totemic thing. But I think on whether it's my own kind of personal relationship with it or for anybody, I do think that they achieve something very, very special here. Um, and I mentioned the friendship thing. Um, I, and another thing I, 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 I often maybe over-reference on the show is the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I love. And I, there was a review of it that I revisited recently and it closed off and it said, um, there's not a lot of great films out there about male friendship, but Tarantino has crafted a beautiful one. And I thought about that and I was like, Surely there are loads of films about male friendship. That seems like a very, you know, well-worn thing. But I don't know if there are. I don't know if there are great ones. I don't know if there are great albums. And it doesn't matter about, like, the gender, but it was just more about the friendship thing that struck me. I was like, this does feel that way. This feels like people yeah. wanting themselves to do better, be better, feel better, get better. Um, and when I listen to Kids See Ghosts by Kids See Ghosts, I find myself being able to uh, get back towards that, maybe. Um, and not to get too heavy into stuff, but, like, at the start of this week, I couldn't have, I couldn't have seen that at all. Um, I'm still nowhere near there, but this kind of music and even hearing that snippet there does make me want to try. And that's been a big thing about this record is it's been such a, it has been a genuinely important thing for me. I think that they really did something very, very powerful um, and beautiful. And I don't know if outside of me constantly referencing it on this podcast, I don't know if enough people know that, but I'm sure everyone has their own albums of this. And I think it's important for that. And I think whatever those albums are for you, I think it's important to hold them dear and it's important to champion them and it's important to tell people about them and it's important to talk about how you feel. And yeah, I mean, this is the part of the show where I get weird and I say that I love you, Craig Fitzpatrick. I love you, Adam Shanahan. And I'm very lucky to have you guys there for me because I know that you are much like Kanye and Cody together. And yeah, I mean, also... 
I debated not putting it in, but I was like, yeah, if I don't put it in, like, what am I doing? So, <laughs> well, interesting you say that because, um, you know, you're being very honest on the mic and I have to reveal that I was being despicably tactical because I thought this is surefire going on Dave's list and we'll <laughs> talk about it. So maybe I can leave it off, even though it's definitely top 10 for me. And yeah, I mean, I echo so much of what you said and Kid Cudi feels like such a force for good. Um, you mentioned Kanye um, being quite generous on this record and kind of stepping back a bit. But I think by the same token, it is Cuddy's record because he brings out something, a really kind of appealing side to Kanye. And you can kind of hear on this record why they're friends and the kind of aspects of their personality that are brilliant and creative and generous. And yeah, I was, I'm glad I could lean on your friendship to know that you would pick this album and you didn't let me down and I wouldn't have to put it in and sacrifice something else. But, um, it's, it's great. Um, it is a healing balm of a record. When David Berman passed away, I remember I was just kind of like in bits. It was really late night news and I was on the way into work and we were talking about it in like the WhatsApp group or whatever. And um, you were kind of just saying, how do you feel? Like it's, and I was saying, oh, I'm kind of shocked how shocked by it I, I am. And I'm trying to listen to his music, but it's not the music to be listening to. And I think we both were just like, Kidsy Ghost. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to put on Kidsy Ghost. And it's going to make me feel better. And it did. And it continues to. And it will continue to work for us. So, yeah. Great choice. Great number one. Yeah, nicely put, man. And also, I will say as well that, like, to tie into the whole brevity angle as well, I don't know if I want another album. As much as I adore this, yeah, I kind of yeah, feel yeah. like, I kind of feel like this is like, a, it's a perfect thing. Don't fuck it up. And like, I, like, of course, you know, I'm sure if they announce one, like, in the next five minutes, I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> but I just, I'm, like, it's, you're just like, and I, it wouldn't, it, but also it wouldn't taint this. It wouldn't change this. It, like, you know, it's like, whether it's a remake of a film or whatever, the original, the thing that makes you feel how you feel, that's not going to change. But I don't want the project to be a constant thing. You know, I'd be happy if they, if they, if they come back, you know, every five years, maybe, or something. Maybe what you're saying is no encore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I've always been saying. Uh, yeah. And this has been no encore. And I mentioned him briefly there. I mentioned him always. His name is Adam Shanahan. He is our sonic architect. He is amazing. And next week on he the is. show, by the way, we're going to be talking about a project that Adam has been working on in the background that mm. we're going to be putting out through the show. We're all very excited about it. Um, Craig and I, I love it. Craig and I are guilty of kind of dragging our heels on it because we're just really bad at, you know, organization and admin and stuff, which is the opposite of what Adam is. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to, we'll have more details on that next week, but there is a new thing coming related to No Encore and we're very excited about it. So is Adam. And that'll be next week on the show. In the meantime, if you do like the show, if you like what we do, especially in this crazy independent era and age, if you can throw us the prize for point, if, if that's something that you would like to do in return for some bonus content and our, our own love, you can do so at patreon.com slash no encore. And uh, also I, I thought about this. I was like, right, so we got 10 albums, although it turns out to be nine. Um, you get all these done in the weekend, wouldn't you? Because they're all short albums. I, th I think all of our listeners should just like pack them all into one big schedule. Binge, for sure. Your Saturday and Sunday is covered. So go for it, you know? They're all very different. And report back. Let us know how you get on. Let us know. Yeah, absolutely. It's noencoreshow at gmail.com. If you ever want to get in touch about anything whatsoever, at noencoreshow on Twitter and patreon.com slash noencore for bonus content. For now, I'm Dave. He's Craig. This is No Encore. Goodbye.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.